Living in Oklahoma is different from other places where we've lived. Uh, one reason for that is the majority of the people that live here are from here, at least for now. But those that, you know, are from here, you know, some have been here for generations. Uh, but other people are moving here from other states. And a lot of different reasons. I mean, we moved because of grandchildren. And our, our son that had moved here with those grandchildren moved here uh, because of our daughter-in-law's job. Uh, other people are moving here because of the cost of living. The cost of living here is much better than a lot of other states. Uh, and so that's a, a real attraction. Uh, some people move here because it's part of the, the Bible Belt. You know, there's a gazillion churches, uh, all, all, all different denominations, different sizes, you know, from just a handful of people to thousands of people. Uh, it's more conservative politically, um, which has attracted a lot of people. And the people are friendly. Uh, you know, most people think they're friendly or, you know, different parts of the country, they believe they're friendly, but here they generally are. Um, and, of course, there's still problems. I mean, there's poverty, there's drugs, there's bad choices made by governments and school boards, you know, and so, you know, you're going to have that wherever you go. And we're all human. We're all different. Uh, just the way God allows us to be. You know, when we lived in Florida, now, the vast majority of people there were not from there. Um because if I went to the dentist or I went someplace and I would ask somebody, so, well, you know, are you a native Floridian? And I'd say, oh, no, you know, I moved here two years ago or I moved here, you know, with my family when I was four or whatever. Uh, I was going to need at Disney. Uh, the people that worked there had their name badge <clears throat> and also had their hometown on it, uh, which was pretty cool. You could see where in the world some of these people were from. So here, I mean, they're just building everywhere. Houses, apartments, stores, businesses, uh, improving the roads because what they have cannot handle what's happening and going to be happening. Um, our church, Life Church, is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, for a while it was just virtual and then went back to uh, three services on Sunday. Now there's four services on Sunday and two on Saturday. Um, my wife volunteers in what they call Life Kids, which is the kids' ministry during the, the main service. She volunteers at 10 o'clock, which is one of the more popular services, the 10 and the 11.30. But... These last few weeks, in the two-year-old room where she is, they've had 32 kids, 34 kids, two-year-olds. Not total for the whole life kids, but just two-year-olds. You know, And to me, that's amazing. I, just, I love it after coming out of churches of mostly old people. So 
I like that number of two-year-olds just as long as I wouldn't have to be in a room with them all. Good grief. Praise the Lord for my wife and people like her. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your church. And Lord, we, we thank you for the, the ways you meet the needs of the churches. Uh, and so, Father, we just um, praise you for just the, the growth that we see in Christianity, the growth we see in the church. And Lord, help us to be part of that growth. Help us to be ones that are sharing the gospel and sharing the good news with people that need to hear it. And Lord, everybody needs to hear it, so we can't go wrong. But Father, just uh, be with us now in this message. Father, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts, and let your Holy Spirit work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to use a familiar book of the Bible, or at least a, a familiar story, familiar person from the Bible. And I think a lot of people that have never gone to church have probably heard this story or know a little bit about it anyways. And it's one of those stories a lot of people say, well, you know, that that's just, you know, like a parable. You know, that's just something to get you thinking it's not something that really happened you know that but no i know that it did happen and i know that because it's in the bible <coughs> excuse me so the book i'm going to use is the book of jonah okay we've all heard the story uh we've seen different depictions of it maybe you've gone to sight and sound in either Branson, Missouri or Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and seen their production, and I'm sure there's a hundred other productions of it out there. Uh, if you're old enough and went to Sunday school, uh, you probably had a flannel graph of uh, Jonah and the, the whale. But I'm going to ask some questions that I don't really find answers to in, in Scripture. And some of those questions are ones that we're going to say, well, when I see Jonah, I'm going to ask him about that. So we're going to kind of go back and forth between chapters to try and get some of the answers. And the first question is, why Jonah? Okay, we find a, a Jonah, uh, probably this one, mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25, telling us that he was a prophet. Well, if this is so, we know nothing else about him as a prophet. So the best answer to why Jonah that I can come up with is because God chose him. Just like God chose so many others in Scripture because he's God. God didn't choose the people that you and I would have chosen because he's God and we're not. Okay, so, you know, we, we can't argue. That's who God wanted. That's who it's going to be. So the second question really kind of goes along with that because it's why didn't God go to plan B? Okay, when Jonah was obviously not interested in doing what God wanted him to do, why didn't God just say, all right, you, you go, you know, 
opposite direction that I want you to go. And I'll just, you know, talk to Obadiah or Zephaniah or Habakkuk or, you know, whoever. So, you know, I mean, we can speculate on this question all day because God wasn't going to be denied. God knew that Jonah was the best person to do this. Jonah needed his pride broken. So maybe, just maybe, this story was more about Jonah than about Nineveh. I think there are times when God does go to plan B, when he gives us an opportunity to serve him and we don't. He uses somebody else and, you know, we miss out on the blessing. We don't have a book in the Bible about that, but, you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. God says, okay, you don't want to lead this group that I'm putting together? You know, I'll get somebody else to lead that group. And I believe that God does work in that way sometimes. Well, the third question is, well, why Nineveh? Okay, in Jonah 1-2, it says this. God is speaking, and he tells Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, and then in Jonah 3-3, it also tells us that Nineveh is a, a great city, a very large city, that it would take three days to, to walk through the city. That's a big city, okay? So Jonah 1.3 is familiar because it tells us this. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know, he must have thought, ha, God will never find me. He's going to be looking for me to show up in Nineveh, and I'm going to be as far away from Nineveh as it's earthly possible. What a foolish guy. You know, Jonah, you can run, but you cannot hide. So where in relationship is Tarshish to Nineveh? Well, according to the map of the known world at Jonah's time, Tarshish was as far as you could go in the opposite direction from Nineveh, okay? Jonah knew that. He knew his geography. He knew that he wants me to go that away. I'm going that away, you know, because I can get as far as possible away. So now Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq, beyond the eastern edge of the Mediterranean. And Tarshish is in what we now call Spain, at the very edge of the western edge of the Mediterranean. So it's like being called to go to New York, and you flee and go to Los Angeles instead. Okay, that you were in Cleveland or Chicago or someplace in between. And God said, I, I want you to go to New York. And you say, oh, okay, God, go call up Travelocity and say, give me a ticket for Los Angeles. Okay, I'm out of here. So in other words, 
Jonah knew in his mind that he needed to get as far as away from Nineveh as he could. Because he, he maybe thought, too, you know, if I go to Tarshish and God finds me there, he's going to say, I'll oh, forget it, just stay here. Will you? I'll get somebody else to do it. <clears throat> Question four. Why? Another why. What was it about Nineveh that made Jonah run? Well, we have to skip ahead to see Jonah's answer to that question. In chapter 4, what it comes down to is this. Jonah did not believe that the Ninevites deserved to be forgiven. They were not worthy of God's forgiveness. Wow, man, I'd never feel that way, and you wouldn't either, right? Uh, would we? You know, do we maybe feel that way about somebody that we see on TV or know personally or reading the paper about somebody that's been, you know, maybe a coach or a teacher or a pastor and they've been molesting children? You know, don't we think that person does not deserve God's forgiveness? Or that drunk driver that took the life of your spouse and some of your children. You know, we sometimes we'd look at that person and say, you know, you need to go to hell for what you've done. You know, you don't deserve forgiveness. Or maybe we see people living a, a lifestyle that, that we think is wrong. Somebody that's a, a drug addict or a prostitute, someone that's gay. Or somebody that, you know, their skin is just a different color than yours, or they speak a different language, or they're from a different nationality, or they're a liberal, or they're a conservative, and all of this means they don't deserve forgiveness because they're not like me. Maybe that's what Jonah was thinking. Maybe we aren't all that different from Jonah in our thinking sometimes. So, Jonah is on his way to Tarshish. He's got this made. He's going to go there and start a new life. God's never going to find him, or so he thinks. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. God knew exactly where his boy Jonah was, and he was not going to make it easy for him. Even though Jonah seemed to be sleeping through it all, until verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so we'll not perish. King James puts it this way. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Mm, yeah, okay. So what the captain is basically saying is, our gods really don't seem to care that we're about to die. Maybe your God will help us. 
you know, you can give these sailors an E for effort. You know, at least they called out to a god of some kind. They knew that it was beyond them. And things were out of their control. And, you know, hopefully some god, someplace out there could help them. And they didn't care whose god. You know, any god would do in a pinch. So things get more interesting in verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Oh, things were not going well for Jonah. He misses his nap. Now he's in trouble with a bunch of scared sailors. So they asked him in verse 8, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Well, Jonah answers these questions in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah made sure that the men knew just who he was, and that terrified them. In verse 10, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Well, all this is out in the open, but the sea's not getting any calmer. Verse 11, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Now, here comes my question number five. In verse 12, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. <coughs> Excuse me. My question in this, why? Why did they have to pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea? Why couldn't Jonah just say, I'm the problem. Here I go. One, two, three, in the water. I don't know. Maybe he thought it would make the sailors feel better. Okay, you know, that they would say, okay, we're going to get rid of this problem. You know, this guy says he's a problem. We're going to take him and we're going to throw him into the water. Or, I don't know, maybe Jonah was afraid to jump. You know, I wouldn't be too excited about it. A storm that's big enough that's going to maybe tear apart the ship that I'm in. You know, I, I might think, you know, I may end up in the water anyways, but I'm really not going to just voluntarily hop in the water by myself. Well, verses 13 and 14, the sailors try to find another solution. They keep throwing stuff off. Doesn't do any good. Jonah knew the only solution, but he still wouldn't jump. The sailors cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Well, he wasn't really an innocent man. Okay, and they didn't really understand that. Verses 15 and 16. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And this, at this, the men feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So, so far in the story, something good now has come out of this because the sailors 
became believers in the Lord. Well, the last verse of chapter 1 creates more questions. Verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Excuse me. Wow! So many questions. The Greek for prepared, where God prepared this fish, is mana, which means to prepare, to provide, to set aside. And the message is God assigned a huge fish. So many stories say it was a whale. Okay, your flannel graph was probably a whale. You know, a dozen or five dozen books, children's books that you've seen, it's a whale. So let me tell you a story. There was a little girl that spoke to her teacher about whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though it's a very large mammal, its throat is very small. The little girl said, but how can that be? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It's physically impossible, she said. Undaunted, the little girl said, Well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. To this, the teacher said, Well, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl replied, Then you ask him. Okay, I don't know if it's physically possible or impossible for a whale to swallow something as large as a human. Could be. Okay, that's not my thing. So, we need to ask, did God create a special fish for such a time as this? The Greek says it's a great fish. It's certainly possible because God is still creating. Whether it was a whale or a great fish or a one-of-a-kind fish that God created for this purpose, there's something else that brings up a question. Question number six. This isn't a why. This is a how. How could Jonah survive inside the fish? I mean, I guess there'd be food, okay, from the other things that this fish had swallowed. Okay, so maybe Jonah got into sushi and still there was all this stuff that acid or whatever's in your stomach to, to break up the food that you eat and break it down to, to be used in your body and to be gotten rid of out of your body. And there was all this stuff, but there wasn't any oxygen. Okay, God kept Jonah alive because he knew he was still going to use him. God knew this experience would give Jonah a different view of the situation. (laughs) No kidding. Give him a whole different view of everything in his life. So we read about Jonah's new attitude in Jonah 2 when he decides it's time to pray. Just to hit a couple of highlights in Jonah's prayer, in verse 3, says, You hurled me 
into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents that swirled about me. <coughs> Excuse me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I don't know what Jonah was expecting when he got thrown into the stormy sea, but that's what he got. Well, then in verse 7, it says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. It sounds like one of those last resort prayers. You know the ones. Hey, Lord, I guess you're my only chance. I've tried everything else. You know, Lord, just to help me get out of this situation. You know, in my, my business, in my marriage, in my schoolwork or whatever it is, Lord, I'm calling out to you because I can't do anything else. Well, then in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. God to the rescue. But if you know the story, you know that that's not the end of the story. In Jonah 3.1, it really mirrors 1.1, because God again says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. So we don't know how far Jonah got on his trip to Tarshish. It doesn't tell us that. You know, if he'd been maybe just a day into the trip or maybe a week into the trip, whatever, uh, from from wherever he got. And we don't know, maybe the great fish gave Jonah a ride in the right direction. You know, maybe it took him back to Joppa where he started, or maybe it took him, you know, further, even closer to Nineveh. But from Joppa to Nineveh was over 700 miles, if that's where he started, okay? So we don't know how Jonah made the trip. Uh, if he walked, it would take him probably a couple of weeks at least. And in verse 4, Jonah starts proclaiming God's message. It says, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown, is the message that he was preaching. And the Ninevites listened, and a fast was started. And even the king was, was fasting. And he made a decree that said, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. And it goes on. But that hits the points that I want. Even the animals were going to be fasting. Okay, not just the people, but the animals. You know, I can't say that I've ever read any place else in Scripture that the animals were fasting. Okay, I mean, to me, that is like the total fast. You know, when you can get the animals to fast as well. Well, chapter 4, the Ninevites have turned to the Lord, and Jonah gets angry. He gets angry because the people listened. He gets angry because he was successful. And he gets upset about this little 
tree that had grown overnight and died overnight. So going back to chapter one, because Jonah didn't think that the people of Nineveh deserved God's grace. But then he gets mad about the plant. And the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? You know, this is a great Bible story. You know, God is saying, you know, you were worried about this stupid plant. I was concerned about over 100,000 people, and you get upset with me. You know, but it's a story that, you know, kids love, adults love. You know, you can buy action figures for it, and there's all kinds of books. There's Bible studies, but to me, it comes down to these two verses, okay, where God said, you know, you're worried about something that's so trivial. Be concerned about things that are great, like I was concerned about. How often do I get concerned about things that really have no meaning, really have no great purpose of any kind? You know, I, I get concerned, you know, on, um, on things that I see and read and hear. And how often does the church do the same thing? Okay, the church gets concerned about buildings. The church gets concerned about worship teams and social media and all of that. While outside our church doors, where life is happening, we miss the whole point. I think that was a message that I was to get out of the book of Jonah. You know, where does my concern lie? Is it about the things that are fleeting and meaningless? Or is my concern about things that are, are eternal? I mean, I've made that eternal choice, but I know a lot of people that haven't. That's where my concern needs to be. I can't be like Jonah and saying, he doesn't deserve, she doesn't deserve, they don't deserve. I didn't deserve, but I got it anyways. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, and how you accepted me just like I was. You didn't tell me I had to get better and come back later. You just said, I love you the way you are. I'm not going to keep you the way you are, but that's the way I love you. And so, Lord, let me be able to express that love to others that need to hear it and know it and have the opportunity to live it. And Lord, we know that that's what the church is supposed to be doing. Father, help us to get closer to what we should be doing and let our concern be placed where it needs to be. And Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this that has never made a, a commitment to you. That they've heard about you, they've heard about Jesus, but they don't really know you. They don't know your son. And Lord, let them know that, that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for their sins, that they're not 
too old or too young or too rich or too poor or too healthy, that, Lord, your son came to die for the sins of everyone. All we need to do is to believe. So, Father, help them to come to that belief. In Jesus' name, amen.